From the Geo Professional Business Association, this is COVID Concerns, a podcast dedicated to providing GBA members and friends timely industry advice and best practices from your peers in the geo professional industry. Things are changing quickly as we all learn more about the virus and its impacts to our industry. With that in mind, remember what you hear on our podcast is the opinion of the speaker and is not intended to be advice. Please do your own follow-up research and make sure to check our show notes for links, clarifications, and additional information. This is episode one and has been sponsored by the Geoprofessional Business Association. This episode was recorded on April 3rd and includes audio from a pop-up town hall meeting that the GBA organized and hosted. We hope you appreciate the valuable information that these speakers are about to share. Thank you for joining us for, uh, for the meeting today. I'm Joel Carson, the Executive Director of GBA. As I've been talking with our members across North America in the past couple of weeks, I heard from many people that we're all facing the same challenges, but not everybody has all the answers to those challenges. We're in a really new world and things are very dynamic and they're changing weekly, they're changing daily, in some cases they're changing hourly. And as I shared my experiences with some of the leaders of our firm, member firms, Uh, Some suggested that we might want to have a meeting where we discuss some of the challenges that we're all having so that we can learn from each other. Uh, This is really the culture of GBA, uh, to share our experiences and learn from each other. And that's the idea that uh, this, our, our first GBA town hall meeting, was born. Without any further delay, welcome to GBA's first pop up town hall meeting. Our panelists today are Mark Kramer. He's the CEO at SME. He's joining us from Canton, Michigan. That's near Detroit. Uh, Another panelist is Martin LaRouche. He's the Vice President of Operations at SNC-Lavalin. As you can see uh, when Martin speaks that he's calling you from his cabin near Montreal, Quebec. And our third panelist is Guy Marcosi. He's the president at Duffield Associates, and he's joining us from his beautiful library in Wilmington, Delaware. So welcome, everybody, and uh, welcome to our panelists. So let's get started with the questions. First, there's a lot of uncertainty in our business today. In some cases, we're considered as providing essential services on projects, and they're moving forward. Uh, In other cases, uh, projects have been shut down and clients have stopped work. Uh, At the same time, governments are enacting legislation to protect workers and businesses and preparing stimulus packages so that we can recover from this uh, pandemic and the uh, economic outfall from the pandemic. And so, Mark, I'd first like to start with you. Uh, What is your outlook on the next few months in regards to backlog and revenue and profits uh, for you at SME? Um, Good good question, Joel. Uh, So uh, we had a record year last year, and up until about a week ago, things were uh, continuing strong and even better than uh, we started last year. when this first came up, we did some some planning and some modeling, and uh, <clears throat> I'll give you a little context, but uh, we planned for a 25% um, and a 50% reduction in work uh, over a short period of time due to a shutdown and then a, a slow recovery over a three to four month period after that. Um, we, we've got about 300 people in Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio and about a third of those are in construction testing, you know, construction materials testing. Um, and then the other two thirds are split between geotechnical, environmental, and then other um, material services, uh, you know, like pavement and uh, building and closure services. So, you know, right now in the first couple of weeks, we've seen about a 10 to 15% drop in uh, the first week and about a 25% drop in hours in the, um, in mainly in Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio, 
their orders are a little less restrictive, but Michigan is one of the most restrictive uh, shelter in place orders. Uh, and they're very, uh, they're not allowing a lot of construction. And there's been a lot of turmoil between the MDOT and, and various parties. So we're seeing a lot of projects start and stop and start and stop as they figure things out. So, so in general, we're planning for a, and, and we think we're going to get shut down up until the end of April here shortly. Right now, our order goes through mid-April. Um, so we're planning for another four weeks of down, say, 25 to maybe even 50%, and then a slow rebound uh, thereafter. We have a ton of backlog. Our work is still coming in fast and furious at the same levels, but um, we have a lot of projects shut down right now. Yeah, it's tough. Guy, what's your outlook from Delaware? Well, we're uh, in mid-Atlantic, so we're in the four-state region of Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, and Maryland, and they're all handling things a little bit differently. Um, obviously, we're very cautious. We were uh, pretty strong all the way up until our, our first uh, quarter closed. Uh, we still have backlog coming in. Uh, we are affected by the shelter-in-place, particularly as it relates to the construction industry. And we think that has uh, connections to the development industry. In fact, um, I think all of our sectors are at risk, even some of our governmental work in that um, we've had difficulty connecting with folks in government to um, get feedback and continue projects. So we're worried about that. We're worried about backlog in the, um, in the regulatory sector as people catch up on their backlog and then submit and then they're going to hit a, um, a wall when it goes through approval processes and things of that nature. So there's a lot of concern out there. Um, I like Mark. Um, I'm reasonably pessimistic about um, where we're going here. I think uh, the best case scenario in my mind would be um, we're going to have um, pretty, pretty difficult times for the next couple, three months, and then a, uh, potentially a rocky rebound through the end of the year. And I would consider that the, the best case scenario. Obviously, if this goes on longer, I think it could be could be even worse. So we've taken some steps and I think later on we'll ask, talk about some questions about what we've done in our individual firms to prepare for that. But I'll, I'll pass to Martin at this point. Okay, Martin, um, what are you, what's your outlook for the next few months? Well, it's pretty much the same, um, you know, with uh, shutdown of construction sites and, uh, and everything that's going on right now. Um, I don't see how this could uh, raise again until next fall. Uh, so, uh, and you know, we, as just like Guy and, and Mark, we had a very good backlog and our year started very, very strong, better than we expected. Uh, but uh, now everything's going down rapidly. Uh, we still have clients like, you know, government agencies and municipalities who say that, you know, uh, when it's going to, well, when construction sites and, and business can reopen maybe mid-April or end of April, they want to launch projects, they want to start projects, but, you know, honestly, what we see is that uh, when they go back home uh, at that levels, at these levels, they're not very much equipped to work from home. Uh, they don't. They, they don't have everything we have at SNC Lavalin, for example. You know, uh, on our side, we we can do pretty well working from home, and we can do good meetings. We have lots of tools, but when we talk to our clients at the government level, it's a, it's very different. So they, it's going to be difficult for them to, even if they're ready to do so, to launch projects efficiently and and to start projects. So we think that. Uh, there's going to be delays, uh, probably projects canceled. Uh, we have clients like developers and commercial chains who are very, very much impacted by this crisis. You know, they see their business volume going down tremendously. Uh, we have an airport group. You know, we almost shut down that group right now. Uh, so we're preparing ourselves for a long battle. Uh, that's the way we, uh, we say it at SNC-Lavalin. Uh, and, uh, so we, we make sure we're ready for that. 
Well, it uh, it definitely sounds like we're all all uh, concerned about um, the the rebound, and it sounds like we have a little bit different ideas of how long this is going to last. But uh, the the main point is is that we we really need to start working smart and um, and manage our businesses well through these really turbulent times. Um, and speaking of that, in such a dynamic business climate where th things are changing weekly or often daily, uh, it'd be a good idea to hear from you how you're tracking backlog and your ability to match people with the work that you're doing. So, uh, Martin, I, I know that you all have some pretty sophisticated processes. Can you share us what tools you're using to analyze your business volume and chargeability during this time? Yeah, well, maybe many other firms have also have uh, similar tools, but uh, at SNC Lavalin, we have a good uh, tool to uh, to follow our backlog. You know, our uh, our uh, the projects that are ongoing. So every week, uh, we see the the amount of money that we have ahead of us. You know, going down or going up, depending on on how much work we do and how much work we win. So we have uh, so we accumulate. Uh, the ongoing projects, the the projects we win with the schedule, the schedule of the project, uh, and we also had the, what we call a soft backlog. So our good prospects, so we put uh, percentages like 25%, 50% of chances to win some some projects. So this is something we had before the crisis, but uh, let's say that right now we're following this uh, much more tightly. So we were start we started to do it on a weekly basis to make sure that we don't miss anything because things are changing rapidly. So we have projects that were canceled or delayed. So we need to be very um, you know uh, we need to follow that on a weekly basis. Uh, I also asked all my people to talk to clients on a very regular basis to see what what's going on you know uh, uh, we may think that the project a, pr a project will start in one month because they were this was supposed to to be but uh, uh, you know I think there's nothing better than than having the client on the phone and ask ask the client what do you think of this you know what's going to happen with your project so that's something we've been asking to all of our project managers and professionals who have good relationships with uh, with clients we also have good tools to analyze chargeability. So we have a weekly report with the graphs showing uh, the last week, the last month, comparisons with the last two years uh, for the same period of, uh, of time. Uh, and especially for two groups, you know, the, the engineers and the technicians, which are the, usually the, the chargeable uh, people in our, in all, in our uh, business. So we do it. Uh, um, it's very tight. We do it tightly uh, uh, on a weekly basis. The the other the other tool I'm using right now is uh, it's a table that uh, I am, uh, you know that's a table that I prepared uh, many years ago when we had a recession in uh, 1998 1999. Very easy tool. Uh, a table. It's a, so every employee has to to complete a weekly table about okay what what are my projects and and what is the work i'm 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 going to, i'm going to be chargeable for during the next week and the next two weeks so every employee has to complete that every week it's consolidated into a a, a team table or a department table i have 600 employees i have 12 regional offices and so at the end, it's all consolidated into one large table. And with my, uh, you know, my, with my, uh, the people I, that uh, report to me, we, we analyze this table every week. And we're able, so that, so with the, 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 the backlog, with the chargeability of the last week and the last month, and with this prediction of the next week or two weeks and month, we're uh, we're able to uh, we're able to follow pretty well what we have to do and make make uh, decisions on a weekly basis uh, 
you know, things like, um, okay, do we need to put more people on TLO? Do we need to share employees uh, from a region to another? How can we share work within, within us? And we, we can do it very, very, very fast, very efficiently. Great. Well, it sounds like a lot of communication in a time where communication is now taken this virtual form with both your clients and your employees is, is yep. really uh, requiring some uh, is required right now in such a dynamic world. Um, so Mark, from your perspective, how is SME analyzing backlog and chargeability uh, in these dynamic times? So, uh, you know, we're focusing on a, a, key, a few key metrics and, you know, doing similar uh, to what Martin is doing. Um, we're asking for two week look aheads. Um, we've moved everybody to daily timesheets and we're asking them to be done at five o'clock. And then our COO is um, tracking that data daily and looking at uh, past week and previous year comparisons to see you know, the impact on a daily basis. Um, and we're reporting that we have a, a, a video chat with our ops team every morning for about a half an hour. We update that number as well as uh, the cash in uh, for the day and the week, and also the sales and proposals in for the day and the week, because we see those as the key metrics um, as we're going forward. So we have a, every day, we pretty much have a snapshot as to the, the daily impact. Some of the teams are tracking other things like number of people working, you know, with work that day in the field and various things like that. But at the, at the high level, uh, we're focused on just a handful of key metrics. Um, I've coached everybody to focus in eight hours on that current day, you know, the next 24 hours, what do we need to do to maximize that time? And then spend a couple hours in the morning or in the evening, focus on the next week and then the next 30 days uh, for planning perspectives. And I've been doing the same. So we've been trying to, you know, keep, you know, not get people too lost in the what's going to happen a month from now or 60 days from now, because you can spend a lot of energy. As all you know, a lot's changed in the last three weeks. And I'm really, every day I come in and I focus on one or two key things to make a difference that day. And then at the end of the day, I try to think about, okay, what do I need to, what do I need to do to get my head up and look over the horizon a little bit? Um, so that's what we've been doing. Well, that uh, really emphasizes to me how, how uh, much we have to ramp up communication when you're having daily calls with your, with your core team and then having daily timesheets. That's something I hadn't heard before, but it might be something that some of us want to employ. Um, just taking it one day at a time is a really good approach in this time where we could just freak out if we start looking a week or two or six months from now which is what we normally do um, is to be, have those longer look aheads. Um, Guy, do you have anything to add on the tools that you all are using at Duffield? Yes. Um, like Mark and uh, Martin, we've, um, we've gone to the daily timesheet, the look aheads, we're looking at the daily cash. Um, and while I'm normally a numbers guy and we pay attention to the daily numbers, I'm, I'm starting to become very skeptical of the numbers because the world has changed so much. And frankly, uh, you know uh, that your folks, when uh, tasked to put time on a timesheet or whatever, um, they manipulate those numbers and they're not necessarily an accurate uh, representation. So we're looking at the numbers, uh, we're using it, uh, but frankly, I'm, I have a skeptical eye towards those. What we have done is, um, and again, we're you know low hundreds people, so it's scalable for us, but we are mandating um, every project that our Project managers contact the client uh, and then document that conversation in a friendly email. We've given them bullet points to ask in their conversation. And then we've given them a script for the email because this doesn't want to be a, a pushy email. This is more of a, here's where we are. We're committed to deliver for you. We want to make sure your project's continuing. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? And then the main ask there is we, we want to assure that we're um, in target to be paid in a prompt period of time. And we want them to record what that conversation says, 30 days, 45 days, whatever. And then we're centralizing that information so we have that. And it really has two, two things for us. One, we know these things are going on and we're, we have access to that information, but I think it's gonna make it easier 30 days from now and we have to go back to these clients that want us to continue and have discussions with them about paying. 
because I think the, the concern here is not that our clients are misleading us. I think our clients are facing the same uncertainty that we are. So they're representing the best available information they have, and we need to play on the, the, the tools of the trade to make sure that they honor those commitments. And frankly, we know that they won't um, because some of them may not be able to, but we wanna be as best prepared for that as we can. Great. Um, thank you all for that. That's very helpful for me, and I, I hope it's helpful for those uh, in, that are listening. Um, as a follow-up question, um, I assume that we're also all looking at different services that we may be able to provide or services that we can provide to our clients during this uh, crisis, this pandemic. And so, Martin, I'll start with you. What business opportunities are there for geoprofessionals during this COVID-19 crisis? Uh, yeah, I, I started to uh, to see a, f a few of these already, and I'm thinking about other things, you know, that we could uh, we could do in the future. Um, you know, we we we're doing some testing for sub products of medical equipment, uh, silica fume, for example. So one of my uh, manager in one region said, "Hey, we're getting so much volume of this right now." Uh, so uh, that was not expected for me. So maybe that there are other sub products like that that we'll have to to test, and maybe we can offer our testing capabilities to some uh, producers of equipment, or you know, this is something I want to brainstorm more with my team uh, shortly. Um, we own, we have the chance, we have, we have the chance to own a mob, mobile LiDAR and drones uh, at, uh, in my group. So we're, uh, we started, we already started uh, to look at, uh, do some tele inspections instead of sending people, you know, our clients will have difficulties to send people uh, to, to sites and, and ourselves, you know, same for ourselves. So uh, this could be a good way to do monitoring, inspections, uh, imaging. Uh, so we're, uh, we're gonna get in touch with the clients to see if that could be useful for them. Um, I'm thinking about some geotech or materials for, uh, I would call that some crisis hospitals extensions or you know, new buildings or facilities that would be built uh, urgently for the crisis. Uh, so, uh, so this is another opportunity I see. Logistics and project management support expertise for, uh, for the health sector. Uh, we started to get in touch with the health se sector and the response is getting pretty good from that. Uh, you know, they're overwhelmed with, uh, with uh, logistics and project management and uh, you know, issues and challenges. So they're looking for experience in that, uh, in that sense. Um, health and safety and hygiene. We have good people who can support clients, contractors uh, to, to get, uh, you know, procedures and, and do when, when our construction sites will reopen, probably they will need more people to follow up on uh, health and safety and hygiene. Um, well, be more responsive than ever to clients, uh, care for their issues. We have clients who are on a survival mode and they will need some of our help to just survive. So uh, I think we need to be, to listen to that and not to be only, then not only business people, but really friends and partners. At, at this point. And when things are picking up again, uh, maybe we will have built relationships that are gonna last forever, you know, with that. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Yeah. This is a time for us to all pull together. And, uh, and when we do so and help people out, then they'll remember us as, as the economy comes back. Um, recognizing that not all firms are the same size as capa and capabilities as SNC-Lavalin. Uh, Mark, what are the opportunities for more traditional geoprofessional businesses that, that you've identified? Um, you know, Martin gave a pretty good list. I think, you know, the two things that we're seeing uh, right now 
um, are the environmental health and safety and response and, you know, helping clients that are having issues and not understanding, you know, maybe how to clean or decontaminate a building uh, because of an illness and that kind of thing. And then um, the other one that we're seeing is, uh, at least here in the Detroit area, they're converting uh, facilities uh, to temporary hospitals. Um, and so there's needs for, you know, various condition assessments and other, you know, kinds of testing uh, to help during that process. You know, some of the things that we do may be a little more specialized than some of the other firms. Um, we haven't, you know, we haven't seen a lot in the traditional, um, you know, what I call geotechnical area um, or construction testing other than, you know, some, you know, testing slabs and doing different things to look at loading and various things like that. But um, those things are just starting at this point. Um, frankly, I, I came with my pencil to this part of the discussion because I'm not really seeing a whole lot of opportunities yet. Um, but the one things um, that I think um, I could add to this, though, is we're looking at it as an opportunity to do a little bit of will. We took some of our personal protection equipment and donated it to the local hospitals. So that was uh, kind of a moral win internally and, you know, never know uh, good karma, pay forward. Um, the other thing I thought of is our um, sort of a new context of working remotely could change our ability to recruit in the future. And there might be some opportunities that come from that. Um, perhaps that'll still be a big problem that we're facing that, you know, we're still finding a uh, hard, hard time finding competent staff. So that's really all I had to add on that one, frankly. Good, uh, all good ideas. And that's, that's also really awesome that you guys donated some of your PPE equipment to, uh, to a local hospital. That's incredible. I think a lot of member firms probably have stockpiles of, uh, of nitrile gloves and uh, masks that we could share if, if we could uh, look for those opportunities. Um, so for many of our member firms uh, fall into a smaller business size and the US federal government has been very active in their efforts to manage the economic impacts to business and employees that are affected by this pandemic. Uh, many of our members learn, need to learn about those opportunities that this legislation provides. So Guy, I know that you have done a lot of, spent a lot of time uh, researching these. So could you share with us um, how you think the CARES Act provision, mostly the uh, Small Business Administration Payroll Protection Plan uh, could potentially aid GBA member firms? Sure. Um, when we talked earlier about what we're doing with regard to the response, uh, we had a, a plan on how we were going to address that. And then as the um, CARES Pact, uh, Act passed um, Congress, we learned more about it. It, it dramatically changed our thinking. Uh, for those of you who aren't super familiar with it, if you're, um, you would qualify if you're a U.S. business with less than 500 full-time equivalents. Um, it's the broadest and it seems to be the best service businesses of the small business programs that are out there um, based on the information that we have. Um, effectively, what the federal government is doing is they're trying to keep as many people on the payrolls as possible and keep their level of revenue consistent with what they've had. So it's a pretty generous bill. Um, effectively, you're allowed to borrow uh, through uh, SBA up to two and a half times your monthly payroll plus qualified expenses, including uh, all your uh, health benefits, uh, your rent, interest payments on, um, on any part of your business, and there's some other details there, but it's a significant amount of your operating costs. And the intent here is that you don't lay off folks and you keep them at revenue levels uh, pre-crisis. Other benefits are there's no personal guarantee associated with this program. And then the thing is, while it's a loan of, uh, currently I think it's a half percent loan, but I was reading last night, they may increase to 1% to get better uptake through the banks. It's only over two years. Uh, but the best part about it is most of the loan is forgivable. And if you maintain your levels of staff and payroll, you will be able to have the whole loan forgiven. And then if you were to do some layoffs or pay uh, reductions, um, then it would be proportionally reduced. So there's a significant upside. Um, there's seemingly very little downside other than there's a lot of confusion about the program. It was supposed to roll out today. Um, 
I've, um, my bank says it's not, the forms are not complete and it will not roll out today. Uh, there was an article yesterday in the Wall Street Journal about it. Um, suffice it to say, there's a lot of confusion about some of the details of the programs intact. Uh, there is risk here that presumably there could be oversubscription because it's such a um, um, kind of a no-brainer type bill. So if you qualify for this, I would strongly encourage you to look at it. And I think Joel has some information to distribute after the meeting that gives you a little bit better information on it. It's fairly easy to apply. It's not onerous to see payroll records and documentation of your expenses and a two-page form um, that you have to fill out and submit it through your local bank. The SBA isn't funding directly, as I understand it's it's coming through participating banks. So whoever your banking relationship is, it's, it should be as easy as an email to say, hey, we're interested in this. Great. Uh, Mark, do you have anything to add to Guy's information about the CARES Act provision or how SME is uh, approaching this? Uh, very similar. Um, I think just to update you, Bank of America right now is the only bank that is actually accepting and submitting as of this morning. Many of the other banks are hurriedly trying to update because the Department of Treasury issued an update to the application last night or this morning. Uh, so everybody's scrambling to try to get their systems up and running. Um, as Guy said, you know, talk to your local banker. They should be able to help you. If they can't, there's some other sources, some other SBA lenders, uh, you know, that we can help you with. But everybody's been in line for this thing for a week or two now. Uh, based on all my business networks. So uh, it's something that if you haven't done it yet, you absolutely have to jump on it with your uh, accountants um, and your banker to uh, get that data in as soon as you can. Um, it is very favorable. There are a couple other loans. There's a economic damage EDIL loan, which isn't as good. That may be a, a backstop if for some reason you can't get the, the PPP loan. And there's other smaller ones, but by far the PPP is the best opportunity right now. Um, but you really have to understand, as Guy said, you have to understand the nuances of it because it may change your strategy as to how you keep people on and when you keep people on because the, the, the provision that they're allowing for forgiveness starts the day you draw on that loan for the first eight weeks. Um, and, and they compare that to... Uh, your payroll at when you start that and when it was before. So you really need to understand it and get your strategy in line so you can maximize uh, the opportunity with that loan. Great. Thank you very much. Kind of in addition to the CARES Act, uh, there's the Leave Act. Uh, and so Guy, could you talk about how that might also aid GBA member firms if that's different? Well, I think there's information that the GBA firm should, should realize the Families First Coronavirus Response Act um, requires that you provide uh, two weeks of sick time for anybody on your staff that's affected with COVID-19 or somebody that has to care for somebody that is um, affected. And then it also requires that um, uh, sort of a, an enhanced FMLA procedure goes into place where you have to provide 75% pay for employees that go on FMLA. And this was effective of, um, I think, April 1st. So as of Wednesday, this went into effect. So you, you have to um, fulfill those requirements. To offset that, uh, the federal government is allowing you to defer your payroll taxes. Um, and you can defer them for the rest of the year where you owe uh, the rest of the balance of this year's payroll taxes half at the end of the year and then half at the end of next year. So effectively, they're giving you some float to pay for that. And then to the extent that you... Um, that you in, in, incur those costs, it's forgivable against that. The key here though is, uh, we talked about the payroll protection plan and effectively um, this, this, this act was passed first before the CARES Act. So the CARES Act or the Families First uh, Leave Act is kind of a subset of the payroll protection. And the information that I have, I'm not an SBA, SBA expert, but I've been spending a lot of time the last week paying attention to these things is, you're only allowed to um, enter into one program per tax ID. So um, if you're going to pursue the payroll protection plan, then you wouldn't, um, you wouldn't be able to use this program as well. But it would, it would be covered because you would be, um, you would be getting um, forgiveness of your SBA loan to the extent that you're keeping these folks on the payroll or extending benefits. 
So I think the key here is this was probably a hot issue a week and a half ago. Um, right now, it seems uh, fairly straightforward that you'd want to participate in the payroll protection loan program if you can, and then you wouldn't have to worry about this so much other than the federal requirement of providing two weeks leave for COVID-19 affected staff and the FMLA provisions uh, that are in there. Great. So Mark, as a, as a, as a president of your firm, do you have anything more to add on the, the leave act? I, I guess just a couple points. Um, one is, you know, we've set up a separate uh, bank of PTO called ESL to try to separate it from our normal PTO so that we can track it and, and get the credit because there's a credit that comes back off your payroll and withholding. Um, the, uh, the, there's, uh, there's flyers from the DOL and a lot of guidance and a lot of questions from the DOL that I suggest you all look at because there's some there's some nuances there, and probably the best advice I got was um, from various attorneys saying that understand that this is an extension of sick leave and FMLA. Um, it has to be employee requested. They have to meet the guidance. There's a one-page flyer that has the guidance of what who's eligible, and basically what they're saying is is understand that if an employee requests it and you deny it you may face um, a, a DOL action against you. And so the recommendation was, you probably want to err on the caution on the side of the employee, pay it and take your risk with, um, when you go back to get the credit from uh, uh, the payroll taxes. So, you know, it's sort of a lesser of two evils things, unfortunately there, you wanna fight with the employee on whether or not they, um, you know, whether or not they uh, are eligible, because uh, it has to do with being sick or having family members sick or having to stay home uh, with kids because school's out. And there's some there's some gray area in there versus uh, the other side. So just be aware of that and make sure you're talking to your attorneys and your HR people about that. Great. And it looks like we're using the chat function here and in, in, uh, asking some questions and our presenters are uh, responding to those. So thank you for that. I also want to put a plug in for the GBA website. Right now we have a coronavirus uh, COVID-19 resource page for GBA members where our members are providing us valuable information like our presenters are talking about today and we're constantly updating uh, that information. So check that page uh, frequently and we're trying to keep that up to date with resources, with GBA reference materials that can help you through this uh, and then just some best practices uh, like those that are being shared here today. Um, those we're keeping on that website. So check the coronavirus uh, COVID-19 member resources page on the GBA website. Uh, it's a button right at the top. So um, we talked about uh, these different leave acts um, and managing people through the process. Um, so Martin, maybe I'll start this question with you. Uh, knowing that you have to cut your costs uh, for both your financial statements and your cash flow, uh, what do you do to decide uh, between reduced hours and pay cuts and how do you apply this in SNC-Lavalin? Yeah, at SNC Lavalin, uh, at, at the highest level, you know, the, the, they came to us saying that cash uh, was going to be the, the most imperative element to, to control. So in, that, in this regard, um, when you reduce hours and you don't cut uh, salaries, you don't resolve everything. Um, so uh, the company has decided to go with pay cuts of uh, 20% for managers and 10% for uh, everyone else. Uh, so that was a decision that was made last week. And uh, so we all go, uh, we all went with that. And I heard that some GBA firms did the same. Yesterday, I heard that WSP did exactly the same. So that's not strange. You know, that's, I think that could be a, a good way to, to ensure that cash won't be uh, your highest issue. 
Um, and uh, you can also combine reduced hours with uh, th these pay cuts as well, because if workload is going down uh, pretty much, then you can't only cut salaries and, and then continue with 37.5 or 40 hour week for everybody. So uh, with the, the follow-up of chargeability and backlog that I uh, mentioned before, we were able to, to see that we had to reduce uh, weeks for many people in our group, uh, and which we did, and which we're going to continue to follow and, and continue to do others if we, if we need to. Um, so I think it's, uh, you know, you need to look at your, your cash, your, um, your financial statements, you know, and see how you're, what you need, what you need to do between pay cuts and reduce hours depending on your, your situation. But yeah. So Steve Wendland had a question. Can, can an employee uh, refuse a salary cut? Uh, Mark, what's your response to that? That's a, I'm, I'm not an HR person. Um, we, we did salary cuts as well. We only did it to our shareholders, which is about a third of the employees, basically the, uh, basically the salaried staff, um, with some exceptions. Uh, we did 20%, uh, above a certain pay and 10% below a certain pay. Um, I don't know. Um, I, I think if you adjust pay, um, I don't know that they're, they have a recourse, but again, I'm not, I'm not an HR person. Um, clearly that's an interesting one. I, I've had a lot of discussions with people about who we want on the team and who we don't want on the team uh, based on actions and things like that. So it's, it's been, it's been an interesting time. How about you guy? Uh, what are you doing to uh, cut your costs and, and maybe you can respond to Steve's question also, if you have a, anything any experience with that? Um, I'll defer to Mark's answer on the termination or forcing the termination. I'm, I'm not sure, but I, it seems like it would get to that point. Um, our, my thought on this was we had a plan going into this. And then um, when we learned of this payroll protection, that significantly modified our approach. Uh, the first thing that we did though, was um, we looked at um, kind of our, our low performers and we immediately let them go. Um, and if you're uh, confused to how to do that, I'll give you two easy tips to find them. One is to ask your HR person for anybody who's on an improvement plan. That would be your first list. Your second list would be to ask your controller for who's significantly off their billable targets. And they all have that list in their head. They can recite that uh, verbatim to you. So um, we looked at that and we felt like this was the time to part ways. We knew the run of the economy would end sooner or later. So we had talked about such a scenario and we did that quickly um, and we did it very transparently. So we had all hands meeting. Uh, we told everybody what we were doing and, and we moved ahead with that. Um, we also, um, lim uh, we did um, average pay cuts of 20% for our shareholders. Um, and we kept in mind uh, compensation levels because one of the provisions of the payroll protection plan is it will protect payroll up to $100,000. So our view was if we're cutting people's salaries below $100,000 for the next eight weeks, it doesn't really help us and it certainly hurts them. So we kept that in mind. And part of the discussion we had with the shareholders was um, um, their ability to meet their, historically meet their metrics. So that's what we used as proportionality there. For someone that was significantly trailing their metrics for a long period of time, they took higher cuts. And of course, the more senior shareholders took higher cuts as well. We made those announcements. The last thing we did um, was we put our leave time accrual program on hold. Uh, the thinking being um, people can take time off right now, whether we, you know, maybe they don't have anything to do or whatever. So they have a lot of flexibility within the current time frame. But we didn't want to absorb um, that. Um, non-billable time now and then have additional time accrue later where we would have this large liability because you know let's face it people are canceling their vacations and other plans and I didn't want to push that problem forward and have to deal with it later so that was um, really, really the only ask that we had for the majority of our staff we, we did the terminations that was out of the way we assured everybody that with the payroll protection plan our, our intent is to keep the rest of the staff intact barring some changes 
shareholders were taking a pay cut, but we asked all of everybody to do is we're going to pause our, our leave program, our paid time off, that's sick and vacation uh, until uh, at least for this quarter and until further notice. Great. Yeah, tough times call for tough measures. And it sounds like you all have been very nimble and uh, very proactive through this to uh, protect cash and uh, make sure that you're sustainable coming out of this. Um, there, there's that, also, Joel, I, I think we all have, uh, we all have lists of our people with uh, bank time, vacation, sick days. Uh, so we, um, uh, so this is a good tool also, you know, to, uh, before going to TLOs or uh, layoffs, you know, uh, make sure that people agree to, to take that. Uh, we we started to talk about the summer vacation, you know, that uh, instead of having summer vacation this year, we would have early summer vacation or, or spring vacation at home. Uh, you know, these are things we need to be innovative and think about everything we can think about, you know, to, to keep people on board. Uh, Excellent. Um, Joe, so, Joe can, I, Joe, can I share a couple things? Sure, Mark. Um, real quick, so um, yeah, we we also set up a PTO donation uh, policy, which is allowed by the IRS. We have a lot of people with a lot of senior people with a lot of bank time, um, and a lot of younger uh, people that don't have as much. And so the group stepped up and wanted to do that. There's a lot of regulations under that, and we're just finishing that up and rolling that out today, so we can share that. We we went early to our bank, and and we have we've solved our our cash concern um, because of a number of things we did. So I'm not worried about liquidity at this point. I can share later. We did a lot of things to get there. Um, but now we're trying to figure out how to, um, you know, maintain the people. And then as, as Guy said, there'll be a point in time when the, when the, the payroll protection loan comes in where we're going to switch gears and probably bring people back on staff. But we're just trying to bridge the period between now and then with the shutdown. And one of the things is this um, donation policy that we have. The other thing is the we we modified our policy, our uh, leave policies, so that we can put a bunch of people on extended leave, so they don't have to get 30 hours uh, to keep to keep on our medical benefits. So we're keeping the majority of our staff on uh, some kind of extended leave where they can fall below 30 hours. Um, use PTO and various things. And then I, I shared in the comments that uh, we've actually had a number of people step up and say, hey, I'm willing to take time off without pay or go on unemployment or do different things because I can you know, help out with the family or the farm or whatever and uh, uh, allowing other people uh, to work. Um, and that's actually worked out pretty well. So as, uh, as Martin said, uh, being innovative and creative and looking at all your options is, is critical during this time. Yeah, awesome. That warms my heart to hear about people giving up their, uh, their um, banked hours, vacation hours, and um, people reducing their salaries and people taking time off uh, without pay so that other people can uh, work. And that's, uh, that's pretty special. And that's what we need in this time. Um, so uh, June uh, provided in the comment section, she's got a document called emergency work at home policy recommendations, and she's willing to share it with anybody that wants it. Um, maybe June, you could provide that to us and we'll put it up on our website uh, as a member resource. Thank you for that. Another sharing opportunity. Um, Kurt had a question for the for the panel. Uh, have any of you had uh, employees that have actually contract, contracted COVID-19 uh, as a result of this coronavirus outbreak? Uh, Martin, you big firm. Yeah, yeah, and uh, our president yesterday in a, in a video said that we we have uh, seven people who uh, contracted the virus, and unfortunately, we had we had one death. In the, in the, it's uh, someone from UK was working in Saudi Arabia, and he, uh, yeah, he I'm passed sorry away. To hear that? Yeah. Sorry, Mark. How about you? Anybody directly impacted? Uh, no positive tests. Uh, we had one person here in our headquarter office who had symptoms. Went in to get tested. The doctor said. 
they think it is, but it wasn't worth testing. So that was interesting. We, we treated it like a positive. Uh, and we've had uh, at least two or three people working on projects that uh, we had to quarantine because uh, other people on those projects uh, uh, were diagnosed. Uh, so we've had some near-miss incidences that way and, and the one here, but nothing so far, no, no tested positives. How about you, Guy? Um, similar to Mark, uh, we've had a couple of near misses and had to quarantine some folks, but um, nothing came of that, so we, we haven't been affected directly. Yeah. And uh, David Lowry just adds that uh, our Katrina experience is that when people have the opportunity to do the right thing, they will. And tough times bring out the best in people. Mm. Uh, so I think that you've all shared stories with us today about uh, things that your companies are doing, you do, you're doing proactively as leaders um, and things that your employees are doing because you've created a culture where uh, when tough times, the best people step up. And uh, so I congratulate you all for that. Um, so I wanted to conclude today by thanking our three panelists uh, for on very short notice uh, stepping up. They called this a pop-up uh, town hall meeting because it truly popped up since Wednesday of this week. And, and to have so many people on this call, uh, GBA member firms uh, from the East Coast, and I see uh, Robin got up very early in Hawaii to join this call, and Brad is in Alaska Standard Time, which is very early. So I wanted to thank everybody for joining the call today. This is what GBA does in tough times. We step up and we help each other. Thank you all for your time today. Um, Martin and Mark and Guy, thank you so much for preparing for this and thank you everybody for participating. If you enjoyed this episode, please visit geoprofessional.org for more information and member resources.